Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Welcome to Right on Hollywood with Christian Toto, part of the Just the News Podcast Network. Sick of media bias infecting film reviews? Furious that too many stars insult your views? Right on Hollywood has your back. Christian is an award-winning journalist, movie critic, and founder of HollywoodInToto.com, the right take on entertainment. Now here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome back to Right on Hollywood, the only show that considers Saturday Night Live an over-the-counter sleep aid. This week we'll break down Bond, James Bond, recommend a Halloween sleeper with an actor you've seen before, even if you can't remember his name, and talk to comedian Derek Richards about what it feels like to be canceled by a liberal Hollywood starlet. First up, the new James Bond film is finally here. We thought we were getting No Time to Die last year, but the film got bumped around the schedule again and again, thanks to a certain pandemic. Now audience can see Daniel Craig for the fifth and final time as 007. That's a good thing. I think he's a great choice for Bond. He has that grit and that sort of raw energy that he brings to the character. You know, not as many gadgets this time, but overall, just a different feel for Bond. I think that each Bond brings that kind of sentiment. Now, I grew up on Roger Moore. I love the actor. I love the character, but... I like this, this Daniel Craig version. I think it's exactly right for the times. Having said that, the movie does give Craig some of those awful, pithy one-liners to say. The kind that Moore just said so beautifully, that nice little finesse, that touch he had. Well, Craig doesn't have that finesse at all. Those little bits have not aged well. But that doesn't really matter. The big question for many Bondaholics is pretty easy. Is no time to die woke? The answer is well, mostly No. I was kind of shocked by that, but here we are. 007 doesn't step aside for a female agent to save the day. He's not a henpecked husband apologizing for overtaking the TV remote. Nothing like that is going on on screen. He still has his license to kill, and he's not afraid to use it. Again, a good thing. He is a spy. He is trying to save the world. Sometimes I have to fire off a few rounds, as it were. And yet No Time to Die made a very ordinary $56 million over the weekend. So what happened? I think there are two factors in play here. The Bond franchise does skew older at times. A lot of people have grown up watching these movies for decades. They've aged along with James Bond and the series. And that demographic right now is less likely to go to the movies. They've been weaned on all this great streaming content. And of course, the pandemic is still kicking around. And they may be a little reticent to sit in a theater at this time. 
But the other factor is just as obvious. But I think most Hollywood reporters, they don't want to talk about it. Much of the bond marketing of the past year plus, and it's been a year plus of all these different teases and interviews and video situations, everything has been pushing the woke narrative that's allegedly attached to the film. The new film's director is Carrie Fukunaga. He all but called Sean Connery's Bond a rapist in one of his interviews recently. Lashana Lynch, who's playing a new spy who pickers with Bond quite a bit. It's actually a, kind of a nice dynamic to bring to the series. Well, every time she's talking to the press, she's reading from the feminist playbook again and again. And now just using the term Bond girl, suddenly you just can't say it. It's verboten. Now, fans had every right to expect that No Time to Die would be woke. It's what we've been told again and again and again. And it wouldn't be the kind of bond that they watched growing up with their families. Maybe they've shared them with their grandkids. This would be a new and different bond for the 21st century. And they weren't on board. The fact that this whole marketing campaign has been a false flag to uh, speak in Alex Jones lingo, it didn't matter. The message was clear. The James Bond of old was gone, pushed aside for the new progressive model. Well, who wouldn't want to wait for video on demand to see that kind of film? You know, we've already seen beloved franchises fall down this path. Terminator Dark Fate and Charlie's Angels rushed to mind. They both went woke to various degrees. Charlie's Angels was all in. And they both failed to the box office. The Angels film is a disaster. And uh, Dark Fate just didn't make enough money to even warrant another sequel in that Terminator franchise. It's done. Now, Bond made more money than both those two films in its opening weekend. But I have to say, maybe this is the beginning of the end for the franchise. Maybe people either burned out in it or they just expect the next James Bond movie is going to be woke, even if this one wasn't. You know, there's a lesson here for Hollywood, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to bother to listen. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. The biggest story in pop culture these days, and it might get even bigger as time marches on, is the Dave Chappelle fight for free speech. Now, we all know Chappelle is a comic genius. Few would argue with that. But he's also willing to poke fun at the alphabet people. That's what he calls them. That's the LGBTQ community, including a subset of that group, the trans community. Now, Chappelle spends a good deal of time talking about that specific topic on his new Netflix special called The Closer. He also includes some really empathetic moments for the community, including a specific member. Along the way, though, he describes Biology 101 in a way that's really angering some people. Not a lot of people, most likely, but they are pretty loud on Twitter. So naturally, he got slammed once again as being transphobic. For now, and I use that really, I really have to kind of emphasize, for now, Chappelle is not backing down. He recently uh, had an appearance at the Hollywood Bowl with I think about 18,000 people, and they were all cheering him on. He was being a little saucy. He was saying, if this is cancel culture, bring it on. I don't feel it. Good for him, but you know what? Other people are feeling it, so he must realize the weight of this, and perhaps he thinks that his talent will kind of basically save the day for him. I think he might be right, but it remains to be seen. I will say, though, that the Netflix CEO, Ted Sarandos, had a very interesting reaction to this whole brouhaha. Now, he's not a conservative, and Netflix is not a conservative platform, but he stood tall for Chappelle, and I want to read exactly what he said. Here's part of it. As with our other talent, we work hard to support their creative freedom, even though this means there will always be content on Netflix some people believe is harmful. Interesting, right? There's more, though. Several of you have also asked where we draw the line on hate. We don't allow titles Netflix that are designed to incite hate or violence, and we don't believe The Closer crosses that line. So why does this matter in the first place? It's just one comedy special. I don't think any of us are going to get a cut of Dave Chappelle's salary on this. I wish we were. But this does matter, and here's why. 
If Netflix and or Chappelle do backpedal now in a week, in a month, the woke movement will be supercharged. And that means comedians will be even more fearful that their next edgy, tough, challenging joke could be their last. My Toto's take this week is Splinter. Shea Wiggum is a great character actor, but he's one of those guys you just, you see his face, you recognize him, you like everything he does, but you probably don't know his name. He's been on Boardwalk Empire, he was in that Joker movie, he's done a lot of high-profile projects, and maybe some others that you haven't seen yet, but probably should. He's rarely the center of attention, but in Splinter, he is. The movie's from 2009, he plays a crook who's on the run with his gal pal, and he decides to kidnap another couple, basically a plan to kind of escape from Johnny Law. Well, sounds like a good plan on on paper, but it doesn't quite go that way. They're driving along, and all of a sudden, they run over something kind of spiky in the road. What was that? And they end up at a local gas station. Kind of a quickie mart situation. And that's where the trouble begins. There's something sinister stalking that gas station, and this quartet has to hide out for their lives. Now, Splinter is the kind of movie that must have cost very little to make. There was no big elaborate sets. The special effects are pretty... Basic, pretty practical in nature. I know people love that word practical when it comes to FX, and I like, I like it too. It's just a tight little thriller. Goes in and goes out. It's about 90 or so minutes long. And it's interesting. It's different. It's got some real creepy moments. And it's fun. Now, I have to say that there are certain movies that I watch maybe every two to five years in the horror genre. I just love them. They're always, they just give me something kind of interesting to watch. I don't need to be surprised by the plot, but there's something just tangible there that I really enjoy. And Splinter's one of them. Again, kind of movie you haven't heard of, and Shea Wiggum very rarely gets starring roles, but he gets one here, he deserves it, and he's the best reason to check out Splinter on Video On Demand Services, and I believe also on Amazon Prime. Derek Richards didn't start out as a stand-up comedian. He was working in radio, but the comedy bug started to nibble away. It was good timing because his radio career was kind of ebbing, and he decided to make a switch. And of course, when you're on the radio, you're a performer, so that switch was pretty clean for him. He was able to bounce from A to B career-wise and do okay. He also leaned on his blue-collar roots to kind of flavor his comedy. And then later, when he had a cancer battle, he used that as part of his routine as well. One of the things that jumps out at me about Derek is that he's used his time to to entertain the troops overseas. He's gone on multiple trips, different parts of the world, just making the men and women of the U.S. military laugh. That's a wonderful thing. But most recently, he was planning to do that again, again, a selfless act, and along comes Deborah Messing. Of course, we all know her from Will and Grace fame, and and she's also the one who temporarily said that she wouldn't work with conservative actors who were supporting Trump. She backpedaled that a little bit, but uh, I think we know what she was thinking and what was on her mind, but she canceled Derek Richards. How did she do it? Well, she took some of his tweets, kind of rearranged him a bit, shook up the Etch-a-Sketch, as it were, and made it sound like he was a bit of a monster, even though he's not, and even though she painted him in a really incorrect light, unfairly. But of course, that's how social media works, and that's how cancel culture works. Derek isn't bitter about the experience, but he does kind of break down what happened and why, his reaction to it, and much more during our conversation. And I also have to say, He's a really funny guy. When I was preparing to do this interview, I saw a whole bunch of clips of him on YouTube. Funny stuff. I think you'll like him. And if you act fast, you can see for yourself. He's playing October 15th at the Lexington Theater in Lexington, Michigan, and October 16th at the Pix Theater in Lapeer, Michigan. For now, I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Derek Richards. 
Derek, thanks for joining the show. You know, our culture loves superheroes and all the origin stories, how they came to be. I love comedians. I love talking to them. And I always want to find out how they got to be a comedian. How do you be a stand up? How, how does it, what does it take to become a stand up comic? And, and, the background, and I don't want to give you the, I don't want to kind of make you do the whole story, but just give me be kind of the shorter version of how you first entered comedy, because I'm always curious about that process. Well, I think it's always, uh, it's always good to have somewhat of an alcohol problem. That <laughs> seems to kind of tie itself into the industry, you know, get divorced, have a bunch of crappy relationships, uh, have a weird upbringing. I mean, there's a number of different channels that any comedian can go through to get to uh, where we are. It's all research, um, I've been right? doing this now for I've been doing this now for 27 years. I was in radio before, before this. And um, I was just always a big fan of stand-up comedy. I wasn't uh, the type of person that was sitting around listening to uh, George Carlin uh, albums or Bill Cosby albums, but I had always appreciated their work. And I always enjoyed watching uh, A&E's Evening at the Improv when that was still on television. So, um, you know, just got, uh, for me, I was just not happy with the way the radio industry was moving. Uh, at the time, and I ended up getting fired from my last full-time radio job and decided to start getting into comedy. And I knew a guy that ran a club in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and he gave me my opportunity. So I'm grateful. I would imagine being on radio and being a performer that way would make the transition a bit easier. Did you find that it was more fluid than you expected, or was it really still very hard to kind of make that jump? Well, I mean, it's, I didn't have the stage fright because we would go on and do a number of live events and remote mm-hmm. broadcasts, and we were always out there in front of people. So I didn't have the stage fright aspect of it. The biggest challenge is actually doing material in front of an audience and getting them to laugh. <laughs> and so, you know, when you're on the radio, you're talking just into a microphone and it's just going out there and you're hoping that you get some good feedback from it. You don't see that feedback. You don't experience it in real time. So it's a, uh, it's a different animal in that regard. You just kind of hope you're like, well, let me throw this out there and see if it's funny. And then somebody will run into you down the road and say, oh yeah, I heard you on the radio the other day and you did this and this and this. And that was, uh, I got a kick out of it, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a whole different animal to go up on stage and just be standing there in front of people and trying to make them laugh for, you know, 45 minutes or an hour. Yeah. Now I imagine there's always a moment or two early on where it just doesn't work at bombs or something like that. But Conversely, was there one particular gig or maybe a series of gigs they thought, oh, gosh, I can I can do this. This is not just a uh, a whim for me. This is like a real this is a real career transition and I'm going to be good at it. You know, it helps when you're you're going out and doing stuff and you're doing the shows and people are laughing. But then when you end up working with certain comedians that you respect and somebody comes up afterwards and they you know give you that word of encouragement. And they say, you know what? You are really on the right path. Keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, That to me was more instrumental than anything else uh, when I was starting off in the business. So, I mean, that helped out a lot, you know, getting some uh, encouragement from some people that, um, you know, and a lot of comedians that nobody's heard of, you know, they're not not household names by any means, Mm -hmm. but there was a one, uh, one comedian that um, uh, was very popular years ago and he still, uh, is popular today. And he's very, very funny. Bobby Collins. I had worked with him years ago in uh, West Palm beach, Florida, and he was very complimentary and I never forgot what he said. Huh? Do you find that comedians in general are supportive of each other? Is it more competitive? Is it sort of case by case? What's the, uh, kind of the camaraderie behind the scenes? I think it's case by case Christian. I mean, it's like any industry. I, I mean, I think if you're a, uh, if you're a good person and you kind of work off of the, uh, 
mentality of, uh, you know, rising tides help all ships. Um, you know, I've tried to kind of keep that attitude, but there's always going to be people in the business that are haters and people that, uh, don't want to see you succeed mm-hmm. or they, uh, you know, relish failure from others. And, um, I'm not that guy. And so I think you just try to like with any industry, you just surround yourself with like-minded people and, uh, people that you just naturally have the same, uh, thought process. Gotcha. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting about comedians today is that you could be funny on social media. You can have YouTube clips. I've been watching some of yours uh, in preparation for our chat. Obviously, I drink with Derek is your podcast. That's a way to kind of connect with other comedians and reach out to new audiences. You've been in this game for a while. Is it easier with all those tools or does it make it harder because there's so much content out there? Well, it helps because it allows you to reach a whole different audience. I mean, I think when you end up seeing a lot of some of these comedians that ended up having a huge following on YouTube and all of a sudden they're selling out comedy clubs and there's certain acts that are out there that, uh, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, I see somebody, I'm like, they're selling out a Monday night, you know, comedy Mm -hmm. club doing two shows and I have no idea who they are, but they ended up getting their success through, you know, doing videos on, uh, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, whatever. And I think it's great. I think it's a fantastic opportunity for a lot of comedians that are ignored by the quote unquote establishment in Hollywood or New York. And they're not being, their success is not being driven or handled by uh, agents, managers in um, uh, New York or Los Angeles. I mean, the people are, the people are voicing their approval on what you're doing. And so I think it's, it's it, as much as it is a challenge for people that have been doing it for a number of years to get into doing stuff online, I think it's an extremely uh, helpful tool and one that everybody should take advantage of because it's right here in front of you. Yeah. Now, as a comedian, in a way, you're an entrepreneur. You've got to kind of work your career, get publicity. Uh, is, has that been a work in progress for you or did, did the radio background maybe help with that uh, transition? Well, it helped out a lot. I mean, I was in promotions when I was in radio, uh, along with being on the air. So that helped out huge. I mean, so I had an understanding of business and the understanding of, uh, you know, half of show business is business. And so I was able to take a lot of the knowledge that I had gained from working in radio and apply it to uh, comedy. And just to, and I think that really helped out a lot. And I think that's really where a lot of acts seem to, fall short, I think it helps to have conversations that go beyond writing jokes Mm -hmm. and go beyond uh, presenting your material on stage and just really approaching it like it's an actual business. Gotcha. Uh, My wife uh, went through a breast cancer fight last year and she's doing great. And it was quite the ordeal in many ways. And it really kind of changed us as a family. But I, I think, you know, I think our marriage is stronger. I think we appreciate things more than we once did. And I, I know you wrote, your book is uh, Whiskey Cancer and Bad Decisions. And you talk about your own cancer fight. How do you grow as an artist from that? Is I mean, obviously, it's, it's material. It's heart-wrenching at times. There's a lot sort of directly you can draw from that. But did it have sort of a bigger picture impact on, on how you look at things and, and how you approach comedy? No, absolutely. And first of all, uh, I'm so sorry that your wife had to go through that and that you and your family had to go through that. I mean, it's uh, it's extremely difficult. Obviously, it's the person who have, has it is going through the worst part. But um, obviously, seeing someone you love go through that is uh, extremely difficult. I'm sorry that you guys had to go through that. And I'm thrilled that she's uh, doing fantastic and that you guys are doing great. Um, 
but that said, no, I, you, you do have a whole new appreciation for everything. And for me, as far as my comedy is concerned, if you get an audience that doesn't quite react the way you would like them to, or you end up having, you know, situations where, uh, somebody makes comments about things that you posted on social media, it really puts everything in perspective. Mm -hmm. And there's a saying that says, uh, you know, perspective is either your prison or your passport and just how you look at things, uh, in life is just, it can dictate how your attitude is and your disposition. And so I just, I don't let, I just don't let stuff get to me. I mean, once you go through, Cancer, and I, you know, you, you you went through it as far as uh, your spouse, and you you come out of it. At least for me, I think, I, and I say this in my in my book, um, that cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, it really, really helped me appreciate things in life that uh, I think I had overlooked before. Gotcha. Uh, one of the things I've looked in sort of at your background, you've done a lot of USO tours, you've helped entertain the troops over the years, and I'm sure that's another life-changing moment for you, uh, in addition to giving, you know, laughs to all the soldiers who need it so desperately. What, what did you, what are your sort of visceral experiences or memories from, from those tours and, and, and what jumps out at you? Well, I had started doing those back in 2001. And USO was doing these things called comedy breaks, and they would send three comedians out to uh, various military bases. And now USO kind of shifted away from doing the uh, the comedy break shows, and they were bringing in, they really kind of focused on bringing these monster uh, acts, you know, such as like a, a Toby Keith or Kid Rock, you know, to these different bases overseas. Um, so now Armed Forces Entertainment had kind of taken over doing a lot of that. So it's just a different, uh, a different office that, that's handling things. But I've had some incredible experiences. The best things that I've done in comedy have been tied into doing shows for the military. I've been to Iraq uh, in 2004. Uh, I was in Afghanistan a couple of years after that. I've gone, um, I've been to probably 16 countries altogether doing shows and then doing a bunch of uh, shows domestically. Uh, the ones overseas are the ones that are the most gratifying, to be honest with you. It's great getting a chance to connect with people and uh that, that serve in the military my dad was navy my grandfather was army and i am you know extremely uh pro-military and appreciate the the sacrifice that these people are making to uh to go over there and um and be stationed overseas and so it's just they're so appreciative when we go over there and do these shows and they're so happy to see us and just the time the hours that we would spend after the shows just hanging out, talking with them, just catching up. And it's just, it's a great escape for them to be able to sit there and talk to somebody who's not on the base, someone who's not doing what they're doing all the time. So it just changes the whole, uh, it changes their whole attitude, their whole mindset. And it's just, um, just great to, it's great to make them laugh and to, and to have fun. What are the jokes that land with the soldiers? What do they really kind of connect with when you're, when you're telling jokes in that situation? Well, they, I mean, you joke about your existing situation. Like you do jokes about the, the base that you're on or the camp or whatever. You point out some of the obvious things that are, uh, that are in front of everyone. But I mean, they have strict uh, rules too in terms of what they don't want you to joke about, which is um, don't make jokes about the military, mm -hmm. obviously. Yep. Don't make jokes about the president. Don't make jokes about uh, religion. And don't make uh, any uh, you know, negative jokes about uh, the opposite sex. And, and that's it. 
And those are the parameters that you play with. And they just don't want to, you know, stir any controversy and make anyone feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And, you know, I've done countless shows for Armed Forces Entertainment and, you know, never had an issue. But they just, you know, they like hearing stuff that's, uh, you know, that's just going on in, in your life. I mean, there's not, like I said, the jokes that always seem to land the hardest are the ones where you're joking around about their, uh, the base that you're on, because, you know, if I do a show for, uh, an office party, the people, the jokes that laugh, the people laugh at the hardest are when you're joking around about the existing situation that you're yeah. in that they can all relate to. Gotcha. Uh, you know, cancel culture has not been kind to comedy and, uh, you got a full dose of it recently, thanks to Deborah Messing. She got you kicked off an, uh, a new military comedy tour that you were working on, calling you anti-vax, anti-gay, pro-insurrection. And, you know, you've said none of that is true, and there's no real evidence to saying that it isn't. Uh, that that, that back ups, basically it backs up your word. You took the high road, too. You didn't blame her. You kind of just backed away from the tour. Uh, what are we to make of this? I mean, you're basically... It's a it's a major celebrity who targeted you specifically, got you removed from this particular tour. None of that is good and none of that is fair. And I have to say, when I heard about the story, I was just angry. Uh, you know, I, this is the first time we're talking, so I don't know you, but it just it just made me mad. And I, how do we get past this? What what is there any sort of positive fallout from this that you can share? Well, I think I think the biggest thing with cancel culture is people level false accusations and they don't know the person. I don't know Deborah Messing. I know she was an actress on Will and Grace and that's all I know. So anybody who has seen my act, anybody who has seen what I do on stage, anybody that knows me as a person, anybody that has seen me do my uh, show overseas knows that I've never had any incident with any military base anywhere. And so to to assume that some memes that were taken the wrong way, um, you know, every every meme that I had posted, because that's how it all generated, was just some stuff that I had put, put on social media uh, where I was joking around about the vaccine and the vaccine. And I and I am vaccinated. So to call me anti-vax is, you know, not true. Yeah, it's um, it's a pretty common the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, the joke I made about the vaccine was uh, I said, you know, the FDA has uh, uh, approved the vaccine. I go, that's like me taking a jar of grape juice, putting it in my pantry, and then six months later, calling it wine. <laughs> so, um, you know, and then being labeled uh, anti-LGBTQ, where I made an innocuous comment about uh, Megan Rapinoe, the U.S. women's soccer uh, captain, uh, where she was, when they lost the game, and the, she had a sad, dejected look on her face, and I said, you know, she has purple hair, and I said, purple-headed dude seems irked. Now, listen, I... I'm not anti-gay. I have, you know, I have plenty of gay friends. I mean, on my podcast, A Drink with Derek, I have a number of gay and lesbian guests that have been on the show. So that's not me either. And yeah. to say that I'm anti, uh, anti-POTUS. Um, well, so, know, by the me. way, so what? I mean, half the country is anti-POTUS at any given time. No, exactly. And a friend of mine actually did a Google search that said from 2016 to 2020, Uh, There were 75% of comedians that entertained for USO were avid Trump haters. Yeah. So, you know, and I know that there has been, you know, anti-Trump comedians that have been removed from tours. I think George Lopez is one who's very outspoken and he was uh, taken off of a tour uh, in that case. But no, I think uh, Christian, the hypocrisy behind cancel culture is 
everything was totally fine to make fun of Trump when he was in office. And that was welcomed with open arms. I mean, you go back and look uh, during lockdown, every single late night talk show, every monologue was just a nonstop diatribe of, you know, anti-Trump material. And also, too, if these people would have gone further back into my social media posts, I mean, I made jokes about Trump when he was in office, too. So I wasn't I'm not hopping on uh, Biden or um, Kamala Harris and just going after them. But it seems like um, the people that uh, decided to go ahead and dig into my social media found those particular posts. It uh, rattled their chains, and then they decided to uh, subsequently contact Armed Forces Entertainment and the uh, Department of Defense. And I are and I harbor no uh, ill feelings towards the DOD or Armed Forces Entertainment. I mean, they're a corporation at the end of the day, and so they're going to do what they need to do to safeguard their image. So I get that. Yeah. And and I've always been pro military. And if anything is going to be a negative distraction to the tour and the tour is still going off. It's just, I'm just not going to be on it, unfortunately. And the other comedians are absolutely brilliant. They're hilarious. And the audiences are going to have a great time. But if me being taken off of that tour makes it easier for that tour to be successful, then I am all for it. I just hope that uh, everybody can, you know, move past this mm-hmm. and that uh, I can go ahead and, you know, uh, you know, rejuvenate my relationship with uh, Armed Forces Entertainment because they're fantastic people. Yeah. And doing amazing work, too. You know, one of the things I've been alarmed by in recent months is I've interviewed other comedians and they often say, you know, when these cancel culture attacks happen, it's sometimes the fellow comedians who are doing some of the dirty work. And I, I was kind of uh, alarmed at that, to say the least. H- have you found that? And, and conversely, have you had other comedians kind of reach out to you after this incident and say, Hey, I'm sorry about this. I mean, has there been any sort of sw- groundswell of support in your behalf? Oh, huge. Oh, good. I mean, uh, the comedians, I mean, friends of mine, as we we're talking earlier, where you end up hanging out with uh, like-minded people that uh, I've had a tremendous support. People contacting me, blowing up my phone, uh, text messages, emails, private messages on social media saying, I can't believe that this is happening. Uh, comedians that have spoken out and said, listen, I've known Derek for a number of years. He is not anti-LGBTQ. He's not uh, anti-POTUS. He's not, listen, just because somebody doesn't believe or want to go along with with any president's policies um, doesn't make them, you know, anti-president. So, you know, you go back and I mean, if, if you look at political satire through the years, I mean, certainly there's plenty of political cartoons that have been you know, in the Washington Post, the New York Times, that people would, some people look at and they go, ah, you know what, that's, that's not my cup of tea. Or sometimes they'll look at it and they'll laugh. And that's what comedy is. Comedy is like an art form, like anything else. It's, uh, it's subjective. Some people uh, love certain acts. Some people love certain jokes. Some people can't stand it. And it just uh, certain words and things resonate with uh, audiences and they hear what they want to hear. But no, I, I think I've had a fantastic uh, swell of support from my fellow comedians that um, that I know and respect. And, uh, you know, it's just like I said, it's just sad that this cancel culture exists in the first place. It's a bunch of uh, Internet Karens. That's is right. what it is. That's right. You know, it's like it's like, you know, when you look online and you see somebody who rates like every single purchase that they ever made on Amazon. I, I mean, that. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's like, like if I see somebody rating cat toys that they bought online, I'm like, am I going to believe anything that you say, to be honest with you? 
I, I get it. I don't think I have the time to do all that stuff, but God bless him for having all that uh, free time. Uh, you know, well, exactly. That's what I don't get. I don't have, there isn't any friend of mine that has that kind of time or that kind of energy to try to ignite a firestorm to, you know, cause distress to another person. I just don't, I mean, I'm not wired that way. I, I mean, I don't know what kind of medication people are taking today that is making them lose their minds. But, um, you know, there needs to be, uh, uh, again, I don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime soon. I just think that there's a, a number of people that can, um, uh, you know, just avoid this confrontation and just uh, don't feed into the cancel culture. Don't retweet stuff. Don't share things. And, um, you know, just block people and, and mute the conversations and move on with your life. Yeah. And by the way, here's a life hack for everyone. Don't go to nextdoor.com. It's quite the cesspool of craziness. My wife uh, dips her toe in there uh, now and then. And oof, it's quite, it is quite the scene. Next, of Nextdoor.com. Yeah. It's sort of like the neighborhood version of Facebook where you can kind of check in with neighbors and find out what's going oh, on in the, no. you know, down the yeah, street. I've heard of that. Oof. You, you'll think Twitter is a, a garden oh, party compared I to that. A, uh, I have a friend of mine that was uh, that was telling me about it. there's like a, a message boards where it's just everyone just sits there and, and complains about uh, somebody's front yard or so and so's not trimming their shrubs and their dog poops in my uh, flower bed. It's it's crazy. You might get some material from it, Derek, but you might also want to stay far, far away. So you have, they'll have to make that choice on your own. <laughs> well, thanks for the heads up. I yeah, appreciate it. No problem. Well, Derek, you've survived cancer. You've survived ever messing. And uh, hopefully the pandemic is going to be ending sooner than later. I just hope the new drugs kick in that are helpful. Things go away. Uh, as a comedian, as someone who's been around for a while, do you have a sort of any dream projects on your horizon? Something you've been itching to do? You're close to kind of making happen? Anything like that? Or is just going to keep on keeping on and keep making people laugh? Well, you know, my uh, my big a dream of starting a movie with Deborah Messing is probably gone in the camera now. <laughs> I see a rom-com with you two guys. I don't know if this could work. Do you know? <laughs> Opposites you, attract. You would be, I, I'm going to, you know what, if this, if this comes to fruition, I'm going to have you direct the project. All right. This is, this is your meet cute moment. You've already got it all written. Uh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, I'm excited. I just had a, a new album that came out called uh, Double Down, which can be um, picked up wherever you download uh, your stuff, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, um, you know, just, uh, continuing to move forward again, the book, whiskey, cancer and bad decisions, hoping that that, uh, continues to pick up steam. And I've been doing some, uh, different keynote, uh, speaking engagements as well, based off of the book, because I'm just trying to branch out a little bit more and take the lessons that I learned from going through cancer and experiencing what I did and sharing that with other people. And so that's been uh, extremely gratifying for me. But uh, no, just had an absolute blast uh, doing comedy and still getting out there and making people laugh and hopefully get back overseas and do some stuff for the uh, for the troops here coming up next year. Excellent. Well, uh, Derek, thank you for joining Right on Hollywood. Please visit DerekRichards.com to find out more about his podcast, A Drink with Derek, his upcoming tour dates, and much more. And of course, you can find links to the book there, too. Derek, thank you so much for joining the show. I am sorry about the cancel culture attack. You're, you're stronger and better for it. And uh, just keep the jokes flowing. No, I appreciate you, Christian. Thank you so much. Looking forward to reading your book, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Right on Hollywood. Please swing over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. Five stars if the spirit moves you. And since we're in the plug zone, let me just start off with my new book, Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul. It's available for pre-order now. It's coming out January 18th. See you all next week. And thanks for joining the Just the News Podcast Network. 
Thanks for listening to the Right on Hollywood podcast, part of the Just the News Network. We'd love to hear from you about the show. You can email Christian at Hollywoodintoto.com. And please don't forget to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. Five-star reviews make our day. But just speak from the heart. Free speech matters more than ever. 